Now it's time to open our Bibles together. So if you will, take out your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 21 this week. Mark 4, 21 through 34 today. Now we're in the south, so I know that many of you are familiar with kudzu. But if you're not from the south, you might have no idea what I'm talking about. Kudzu is America's most infamous weed, as it is called, or sometimes called the vine that ate the south. Kudzu is native to Japan and China, but it was brought over to the U.S. in the late 1800s as a nice, pretty, sweet-smelling garden novelty. Isn't that nice? We're going to bring that over here, and we're going to really enjoy it. Well, then in the 1930s, kudzu was marketed as an excellent plant to combat soil erosion, and thus it was planted all over the South with the help of government subsidies. And little did they know what it would become. Because kudzu, if you didn't know, is like a marching army that almost cannot be stopped. That's why they call it the vine that ate the South. It grows at one foot per day and overtakes almost anything in its path. If you travel through places like rural Georgia or Alabama, you have likely seen entire landscapes covered in this stuff. You can see the shape of trees and hills and bushes, but just the shape. Because the kudzu has swallowed all of them up. It's covered them completely. It's like a blanket all over it. At first glance, this plant is unassuming, perhaps even pleasant. But just like those people in the late 1800s and early 1900s, you would never guess what this thing is capable of. Last week, we were introduced in Mark's Gospel to Jesus' parables. We looked at why Jesus spoke in parables. We saw that the parable of the sower was kind of like a parable that explains all the other parables. Well, this week, Jesus uses a few short parables right in a row in quick succession to teach about how the kingdom of God is not what you would expect. The kingdom of God grows and spreads in ways that you would not expect. Let's read our text today. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 21, I'll read down to verse 34. Follow along with me in your copy, if you will. This is God's word. Mark writes, And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket, or under a bed, and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, 
With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Now, there's a couple of verses in this section of text that kind of serve as um, theme verses for this section, if you will, theme verses for this passage. One is in verse 30, where Jesus says, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? All three of these parables that we just looked at, the lamp, the seed growing and the mustard seed, all three of them are ways of explaining the kingdom of God. And so that's what Jesus is doing. Verse 30 is kind of an overarching verse for all of this. With what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? But also, if you look at verse 23, verse 23, where Jesus says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. We saw Jesus say this last week in the parable of the sower. And what we saw was everyone has ears. Everyone who is listening to Jesus has ears, but not everyone has ears to hear. Whoever has ears to hear. And so with Jesus, I say to you today, whoever has ears to hear, may he hear what the Lord is saying to us in his word. And so let's look at what the Lord is saying to us in his word. Starting with verse 21, the lamp. The lamp. The lamp teaches us about the revealing of the kingdom. The revealing of the kingdom. God's kingdom is something that in many ways is hidden. In many ways, God's kingdom is hidden. You can go about your life in the world today and not think about God's kingdom. Many people do exactly that. Many people have convinced themselves that there is no such thing as God and no such thing as the kingdom of God because of what they see with their eyes on the surface in the world. Because in many ways, God's kingdom is hidden. But it is not intended to stay hidden. It is not intended to stay hidden, nor will it. God's kingdom is a kingdom that is being revealed both by God and should be being revealed by us as well. God is revealing his kingdom in his own ways. One day he will fully reveal it, but we should also be revealing God's kingdom. Notice Jesus' illustration or parable of the lamp. The lamp. He says, verse 21, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? You know, not too long ago here in our community, many of us went without power for a few days. Some of us had a number of days without power. And that's all well and good when the sun's up, but when the sun goes down, then what do you do? Well, we had one of those camping lanterns that was battery operated, pretty, pretty bright. We were very thankful that we had it in the Lord's providence. We had gotten one of those number of months ago, I think. Well, how silly would it be for me to have gone down to our cellar to get that camping lantern, and put the batteries in it, open it up, turn it on, and then, then to put a bowl over it to conceal the light? Well, that, that would be illogical. That wouldn't make any sense at all, would it? That's what Jesus is saying here. In a, a time where they didn't have electricity, why would you bring in a lamp and light this lamp and then put it under a basket or under a bed? 
No, you, you put it on its stand so that it can give light to the house. It makes no sense to conceal it. It makes no sense to hide it. In the same way, the light of the kingdom of God is not meant to be concealed, but to be shared. It's meant to be shared. Sometimes our kids at church sing this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. And at one point, I don't know if you sang this when you were younger, at one point, you say, hide it under a bushel. No, no, I'm going to let it shine. Right? You scream, no. Hide it under a bushel, no. That's where we get that song. This is where we get that. You see, here's a fear of mine. This is a fear of mine. When we stand before Christ at the judgment, if you picture yourself standing in a line, waiting for your turn. I don't know if God's going to do it like that or not. But you're in a line, you're waiting for your turn to stand before Christ and to give an account for everything that you have done. And right in front of you is your next door neighbor. And you can overhear their judgment. And toward the end, Jesus says to your next door neighbor, depart from me. I never knew you. And they have just heard their sentence for eternity proclaimed to them. And for the first time, they understand what it means. For the first time, they understand the consequences of rejecting Christ their whole life. And they turn around to you with a horrific face because they know where they're about to go and there's no chance. There's no chance to change it. There's no second chance. They turn around to you with that horrific face and they look you in the eye and they say, why didn't you warn me? Why didn't you warn me? That's my fear. That's my fear. That there will be those who knew us and who knew that we were Christians and come judgment day, they they say, you said nothing to me. You never spoke to me of this. In Donald Whitney's book on spiritual disciplines, he writes, I heard the story of a man who became a Christian during an evangelistic emphasis in a city in the Pacific Northwest. When he told his boss about it, the employer responded, that's great. I'm a Christian and I've been praying for you for years. But the new believer was crestfallen. Why didn't you ever tell me you were a Christian? You were the very reason I have not been interested in the gospel all these years. The boss was flabbergasted. How can that be? I I have done my very best to live the Christian life around you. And the employee responded, that's the point. You lived such a model life without telling me that it was Christ who made the difference, that I convinced myself that if you could live such a good and happy life without Christ, then I could too. You see what our silence does. You see what saying nothing does to those around us. Heed these words from Ezekiel 33.6, And with Jesus I will say of them, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Ezekiel 33.6, But if the watchman sees the sword coming, and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any one of them. That person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what God is saying to us through his word. Look at verses 24 and 25 in our text with me, if you will. 
There Jesus says, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. There's a hint here of the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents. If you remember that parable, there was a man who who entrusts his money to three different servants, and then he leaves on a journey. Another parable Jesus is telling. He leaves on a journey, and when he returns, he he calls his servants to account. What did you do with my money? And two of them said, said that they put his money to work, and they earned more for the master. But one of them hid it in the ground. And the master says of that one, take his one talent from him, from this lazy servant, and give it to the one who has ten already. Verse 25, for to the one who has more will be given and from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. If you hide the light that has been entrusted to you, if you hide it in the end, even the small amount of light that you had will be taken from you. For Jesus says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this generation, of him will the son of man be ashamed on that day. If you take the light of the gospel that has been revealed to you and you sit on it and you bottle it up, if you don't pursue the Lord and seek to grow in your knowledge of him and his word, eventually that little bit of the gospel will be snatched away from you. In the Christian life, you see, there is no such thing as doing the bare minimum to be saved, and then waiting it out until Judgment Day. There is no such thing as that in the Christian life. You are either growing in this light and sharing in this light, or your light will slowly be snuffed out like a smoldering candle until eventually darkness forever. Verse 24, he says, With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. In this way, in a sense, you... You get out what you put in with the Lord in the Christian life. You get out what you put in. And if you put in nothing, it's what you will eventually get out. You get out what you put in when it comes to the Lord and living this Christian life. And so, the light of the kingdom is not meant to be concealed. The light of the kingdom of God is meant to be shared. God is revealing his kingdom But in many ways, he is doing it through his servants, through us. We are meant to reveal his kingdom. We are meant to share this hidden light. Now, on to verses 26 through 29, the parable of the seed growing, which teaches us here the hidden growth of the kingdom. The hidden growth of the kingdom. The kingdom of God grows like crops. The farmer plants. And then, notice in verse 28... It says the the earth produces by itself, by itself. Verse 27, it says the farmer, he knows not how. He knows not how. You may be an expert in gardening or the science behind seeds and plants and trees, but actually none of us can explain how a huge plant comes out of a tiny seed just from sticking it in the earth. Can we just stop and marvel at the mystery that that is for a second? Because we don't do it. We, we, we don't stop and marvel at the miracle that happens every time that happens. 
right? We think we understand it, but that's only because that's the way it always happens. God has ordained that, that life works like this. But when you stop and think about that, that's an unfathomable mystery. We can't explain it. No one can explain that because it's God. It's the way that he has set up the world to work. It's a mystery that he has allowed us to witness again and again and again, and we've become desensitized to it. None of us can explain it. The farmer knows not how. The earth produces by itself. This is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of God. None of us can fully explain it. It grows underneath the surface. It isn't flashy. It isn't something that draws attention the way a big business might. There's not going to be news stories about it or a bunch of adoring fans Every now and then you will see something like the revival at Asbury a little while ago. But that's not the typical way God's kingdom grows. Typically, it's person to person. Organic. One here, another there. It grows not just underneath the surface, it grows slowly. The kingdom of God grows slowly. It grows slow and steady, not explosive. The growth is measured in centuries not months. And as Christians, we need to be about the long game. We need to be about the long game in this Christian life. Do not let your encouragement level rise and fall with the Sunday attendance numbers that are on that board week by week. We're not about the short term. We're about the long term. This is a long game we are in. Bob Russell, preacher many of you know, tells a story of a church that he grew up in as a young boy. And when he, he presents this, he'll, he'll put a picture up on the screen behind him whenever he's speaking of this, this little black and white grainy picture of a little country church. And it's, it's got maybe 30 people standing in front of the church, taking a nice picture in front of the doors, in front of the steps. Church that looks very small, looks very insignificant. And... You look at it, and that's what you think. This is a small church. This is not, not a really significant church by any means. But when he traces out the influence of those people in that photograph, he begins to point to each one and say, well, well, that person, this is what they did, and this is their kids, and what their kids did, and what their grandkids did. And he begins to trace out the influences of the people in that photograph over the course of the next three to four generations, and it becomes apparent that this church's influence on the kingdom was massive. This little little bitty country church, their influence on the kingdom was massive, much larger than its size would suggest. That's the kingdom of God. It is God's good pleasure to glorify himself through consistent, everyday, humble obedience over long periods of time. It is God's good pleasure to glorify himself through consistent, everyday, humble obedience over long periods of time. In business, it is often said that you can overestimate what you can do in a year and you underestimate what you can do in five. Well, if we, if we as Christians narrow our focus to the short term, it's going to be very easy to get discouraged. But if we have a long game mindset, you'll be surprised what God will do over the course of a few decades through a normal, humble church, or through a normal, humble Christian. 
When I was in college, a bunch of us were just getting excited and committed to the Lord, getting serious about our faith, and we wanted to change the world. We talked about it. We wanted to change the world. And our selfish ambition made us want to be noticed doing it. We wanted to change the world in a way that people would notice. Well, Zach Eswine, in one of his wonderful books on ministry, he writes on the values of the church in America today, and he says, the contemporary church values large things famously done as fast as possible. But God often values small, mostly overlooked things over a long period of time. The first appears successful and gets promoted. The second one does not. The contemporary church values large things famously done as fast as possible, while God values small, mostly overlooked things done over a long period of time. And that doesn't get the attention of the world. If you want to change the world and do big things for God, that's great. That's fine. I want to breathe on your fire in any way that I can. But better to cultivate a contentment in the normal, everyday, consistent, humble path of being faithful. Be faithful. That is the way God, in his wisdom, has ordained that his kingdom will grow. Slowly under the surface, through humble obedience, through faithful consistency, day by day, year by year, decade by decade. And so we've seen the revealing of the kingdom. We've seen the hidden growth of the kingdom. Now the parable of the mustard seed, Jesus teaches us the meekness of the kingdom. The meekness of the kingdom. Look at verses 31 and 32 with me. This kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, it's the smallest of all the seeds of the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the, the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. The mustard seed. There's an old riddle. The riddle goes something like this. A treasure chest with a treasure inside that is a hundred times the size of the chest itself. What's the answer? A treasure chest with a treasure inside that's a hundred times the size of the chest itself. Well, the answer, of course, is a seed. It's a seed. It starts so small and becomes so much bigger than you could have ever predicted. That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom. The growth is hidden under the surface and slower than you would expect. But in the end, it takes over. It's like kudzu. It takes over. In the, in the end, end, it will encompass all of creation, God's kingdom. But you see, a kingdom always reflects its king. A kingdom always reflects its king. Look at all of the kingdoms of the world in history. A kingdom begins to, to reflect the character, even the personality of its king. And what is the king of this kingdom like? Well, he's meek. He's gentle. He's lowly. He's unimpressive at first glance. In Isaiah 53, starting in verse 2, hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, Isaiah wrote this, For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. 
He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Jesus, on the surface, was not the king everyone expected. His priorities were not the priorities of this world. He often did things much differently than people would like, much differently than people would think was wise. But he was the king of this kingdom. A kingdom reflects its king. Many of you know that I'm really into guitar. I like to play. I like to listen to people who are really good at guitar. And when you're just starting out, Learning guitar and listening to all this music, you've got guitar heroes. A lot of you understand this. You guys, a lot of you grew up in the era of guitar heroes, right? You've got your guitar heroes. You've got your people that, that, oh, I want to play like that. And normally, guitar heroes are like Eddie Van Halen, right? Eddie Van Halen's jumping around the stage. He's, he's just wrenching on his whammy bar on his guitar and tapping all over the strings. He's doing all these really outlandish things. He's putting on a show. Or you've got somebody like Jimi Hendrix. He's setting his guitar on fire. Right? He's kicking over amps. He's wearing all these flowy outfits that draw all kinds of attention to himself. Or you've got Slash from Guns N' Roses, right? He wears a top hat, sunglasses, and no shirt to play guitar, right? That's, that's a guitar hero. Or even go a little bit farther back and you've got Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry's playing Johnny Be Good, but he's dancing all over the stage and kicking his heels out and everything, right? Now, if none of those references make any sense to you, think Marty McFly and Back to the Future. Okay, that's what we're talking about. It's a show. It's flashy, right? Now, to, to a young guy, I'm looking at, at all these years ago. I'm looking at all these guys. I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a guitar hero. That's what it means to play guitar. And slowly but surely into to my knowledge of music and guitar comes this guy named Chet Atkins. Chet Atkins. Now, here's a guy who wears a suit and tie to play guitar. I mean, he's the very definition of a square He's clean-shaven, his hair is combed neatly, he's every southern grandmother's dream. No teenage boy is in their room rocking out to Chet Atkins because he doesn't garner all the attention and in the way that he carries himself. I mean, he, he speaks very quietly and unassumingly, he's, he's humble, he doesn't draw attention to himself. But take it from someone who plays guitar. This man might very well be the greatest guitarist who ever lived. Ever. Because it doesn't take but five minutes trying to learn a Chet Atkins song, and you start to think, this is impossible. How in the world did this man do this? But he's not, he's not going like this. He's not being flashy. He's not garnering all this attention. He actually used to play a lot with a guy named Jerry Reed. And, and Jerry Reed and Chet Atkins couldn't have been more different. You know, Jerry was, was an absolute showman, making everybody laugh, calling attention to himself over and over again, and I love him too. But Chet Atkins is, is absolutely different. He's, he's dressed up. He's proper, he's clean cut, he's, he, he's, he's not cool, and he, he's playing the hardest thing you've ever seen. Right? That's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. That's Jesus. The world wants glitz. The world wants glamour. The, the, Lord, the world wants you to, to razzle-dazzle them. And Jesus is unassuming, despised and rejected by men, ushering in a kingdom that some people can't even see. Because it's so hidden. The kingdom always reflects its king. So the kingdom of God is meek. The kingdom of God is gentle. 
The kingdom of God is lowly. The kingdom of God is unimpressive by the metrics of the world. Unwise according to worldly wisdom. Weak according to worldly strength. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 25, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is the kingdom. And God is waiting to see who will align themselves with this kingdom. Who will forsake the world's wisdom to align themselves with this foolishness? Who will forsake the world's strength to align themselves with this weakness? Who will forsake the world to align themselves with this humble, despised, and rejected king? Who will give their lives to the revealing and the advance of this kingdom? If you do, those who are of the world will think you foolish. But in the end, God promises that you will reign over it all with Christ. And so I say again, if anyone has ears to hear, may he hear what God is saying to each one of us through his word. Right now we're going to give just a few moments for silent prayer. And we ask each and every one of you right now to respond to God and whatever he has laid upon your heart. The response of each one of us is probably different. And so we want to give this time where each individual person can respond to the Lord. There may be those who need to respond to God and to his word in a public way. And we're going to offer the opportunity to do that here in just a minute. But before we do that, we want to pray together silently so that each one of us can respond because each one of us needs to. So take this time to talk to the Lord and then we'll come back together and we'll have a time of invitation.